0: I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, One is baptism next Sunday, September 12th. Uh, We're actually baptizing, joining uh, churches across our nation, Southern Baptist churches across the nation and the state in what they're calling fill the tank Sunday is an opportunity to baptize folks. So we're going to be joining with a lot of churches for baptism. Our typical baptism is, is, or our baptisms are typically scheduled for the second Sunday, so that works good for us. But if God is leading you to be baptized here or at home, let me know this week. Send me a Next Steps card. Give me a call. Shoot me an email. And let me know you want to talk about that. If if you're a born-again believer in Christ, you've never followed through in believer's baptism, let me know that. Maybe you have just recently accepted Christ and it's time to follow through. Maybe there's a recommitment you want to step up and make in your life. Let me know. And let's talk about that this week as we consider that for next Sunday. Also, as Pastor Mike already mentioned, Members, please be sure and stay back this morning. Uh, At the end of the hour, we'll have a brief call business conference uh, to vote on the deacons uh, that have gone through the process and, and been nominated to you. We're coming back to you, the church body, this morning to bring those to you. And yes, the last two weeks I have been in Charlotte, North Carolina, holding the most adorable little baby. Now, I know you guys think your grandkids are adorable, but I got to tell you, I know where the one is. I know who she is. Uh, Very, very blessed, very blessed, and I appreciate your prayers. Uh, We did have some complications along the way with delivery, but God's healed and God is blessing with more healing, and uh, we just praise him for that. Uh, You know, it's been 29 years since Kim and I had an infant. Now, I know what an infant is. And, and, and I see them, and you guys have them, and, and we have them in worship care. And, and, uh, but, you know, I, I, I was reminded these last two weeks, infants are kind of demanding, just just a little bit. They kind of got some high expectations, don't they? But we love that. That's, that's, we're drawn to that, to take care of them in their time of need. What's interesting, though, is human beings, people, stay demanding. Even as we grow up, even as we mature, we stay demanding. And sometimes we're demanding of God. Sometimes we want God to do what we want God to do our way, the way that we want it. And and we, we pray that way sometimes. God, we want you to do this this way because we understand this. Occasionally people voice it out loud, like me, you've probably seen videos of or even heard personally atheists who would say, if God would do this, this, and this, if God really exists, and he would do this, this, and this, then I would believe him. Well, the big problem with that, of course, is if God performs on demand, that's not God. He's not God, you are. If God performs on your demand or the atheist demand, you're God, he's not. That's just not how God works. But this has been a long-standing part of humanity. When we uh, approach God, we often want God to do what we want God to do and for God to do what we want him to do our way. That hasn't changed much. Jesus encountered that himself. If you have your Bible, find with me Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 over in your New Testament. Not in the book of Jonah this week. We'll be back in the book of Jonah next week. But still talking about Jonah. And you'll see what I mean in just a minute. Still talking about God's relentless love as expressed in the book of Jonah. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. And these religious leaders, the first thing they do is say, we want you to do what we want you to do and to do it our way. And if you'll do that, we might believe in you. It's Jesus' answer to that that we're interested in. This morning, Matthew chapter 12, we'll start reading at verse 38. The Bible says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees came to him. Those are religious leaders of the Jews at that time. They said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here prior to this point in the story in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has healed a steady stream of sick people. He has cast out demons from person after person, he has restored sight. To the blind, he has healed the withered hand of a disabled man. He has calmed the storm, miracle after miracle, and many miracles yet to come. And and still, these religious leaders come to him, and they say, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want you to perform a miracle on demand. We want you to do what we want you to do the way we want you to do it. Never once in the Bible does Jesus perform a miracle on demand. Because Jesus knows the simple truth. God knows the simple truth. If you don't believe him for what he's already done, for his word, for what he's done in nature, in creation, in your life, if you don't already believe him or believe in him, a miracle on demand won't change that. It doesn't change that. In fact, it diminishes God. These leaders come to Jesus, leaders who know their Old Testament scriptures, their Hebrew Bible. They know it well. And they say, teacher, we want a sign from you. What are they talking about? They they don't want just a miracle. They want a specific kind of miracle. They want a sign that they believe the coming Messiah, the Christ of God, the long-awaited one of the Old Testament. They want a sign, a miracle that he would perform, and they want him to do it on demand. They want him to validate what he's already been telling them and teaching them to validate on their terms that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ of God, who their Bible says, and our Bible, the Old Testament says, would come and perform signs and wonders. But they have so misinterpreted Scripture, they've come to the notion that those signs and wonders have to be the signs that they want. They have to be the indicators, the signposts that they want. The word translated sign is very specific. It's not not the same word in the New Testament for miracle. It's It's an indicator, a particular kind of miracle. And that's what they demand of Jesus. And Jesus' response is, there will be no such sign for this generation except the sign of Jonah. That the Son of Man himself, he's speaking of himself, would be buried in the earth for three days. Now we need to pause here and consider what Jesus is doing. There's a a principle in Scripture, and Jesus calls this principle to mind. It's a principle in which uh, God, by His providential hand, by His working through history, uses people that precede Christ to foreshadow who Christ would be. Scholars call it types. There are types of Christ's. In the Old Testament. They are not Jesus. They are not the Son of God. They are not Christ. But they illustrate, they reflect who Jesus will be. They do it in part, not in whole. They do it imperfectly, not perfectly. Because all of these types, all of these actions and words and, and, and the life of Christ, all of it will be wrapped up perfectly in Jesus Christ. He will be the perfect teacher, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest. He will be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But even so, by God's providence, he permits us and everyone that preceded Christ to see these captured in the Old Testament. Over and over, we see these types in the Old Testament. As before the flood came, Noah called people to the ark, just as we would call people to Christ to be saved. King David was a a king that foreshadowed King Jesus, a shepherd that showed the great king would also be the great shepherd of the sheep. Hosea the prophet married a harlot, a prostitute, to foreshadow the great forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, and that God's forgiveness is unrelenting, always there, and his love is always there. You get the idea. Imperfect and only in part, but still foreshadowing Christ. This is the principle that Jesus calls to mind when he speaks of the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah was that Jonah sacrificed himself. He submitted to the sailors on the ship and was cast into the sea. Then, as we'll see next week, he is captured into the belly of a great fish, and there he resides for three days until the fish spits him out. It's an illustration, a reflection of the Lord Jesus himself submitting to the hands of sinners to be sacrificed for our sins, to to die and be buried and for three days be buried in that grave and then on the third day to rise to life. Jesus calls this to mind. And he connects the dots and he tells the religious leaders, that's the only sign that you're going to get Because that's the only one I'm going to do for everyone, and you can't miss it. The sign of Jonah is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't miss it. It's the sign of God's unrelenting love. It's always there for us, and everyone can see it. In fact, Jesus mentions two basic truths that I want to bring out for us this morning, two basic truths about God's unrelenting unrelenting love and his greatest sign of all the one single greatest sign above all others shows God's unrelenting love first that God's greatest sign is obvious to everyone God's greatest sign is obvious to everyone anyone who encounters it sees it and knows it the question is not whether they see or know the sign it's whether they accept the sign. Just like the religious leaders that had the book of Jonah, they knew the book of Jonah, they knew the story, and yet they refused to see the sign of Jonah as reflecting the Christ, the Messiah himself. They refused it. But Jesus says the sailors saw it. He said the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, saw it. They grasped it, they recognized it, and they accepted it. See, it's not a matter of whether we know it or not, it's a matter of whether we accept it or not. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's obvious to all who encounter the gospel, obvious to all who encounter the story of Jesus, what he has done, God's greatest sign of his relentless love, his unyielding love, is the cross of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's God's sign for you. You know, sometimes we do the same thing we ask God to perform on demand. God, if you really loved me, you'd answer this prayer this way. God, if you were really there for me, you would do this and you would do this. And God, how do I know you're there? God, why are you so quiet? God, why don't you take care of this? God, why is this going on for so long? God, why did this happen to me? God, show me that you're there. And God's response is always the same. I've already shown you that I'm there. I've already shown you how much I love you. I've already shown you because even before you knew you were a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for you, and he's alive today. That's God's answer. You want to know where God's relentless love is found, where that sign is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty grave. Now, because God's greatest sign is obvious to everyone, second, God holds everyone accountable for his greatest sign. God holds everyone accountable. He holds us accountable for what we know. And if you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you know Christ died on the cross for you, if you know that that Christ is alive today, God raised him from the grave, if you know these things, you've learned these things, God holds you accountable for these things. Jesus says, even the Ninevites, pagan people, who likely had no idea what the Jewish scripture said, even those pagan people, Jesus said, When they heard what had happened with Jonah and they heard his preaching, they repented of their sin. And Jesus says that was an imperfect sign of God and his unrelenting love. That was an imperfect sign. He says a greater sign is coming. And by that he means to the Jewish leaders, my death, my burial, my resurrection is coming. It will be the greatest sign you'll ever see. The question is that, is whether you'll believe when you see it. So we all have the gospel before us. We all have the truth before us. We all know who Christ is and what he's done for us. That's not the question. The question is whether we accept it, whether we believe it. This morning we transition from talking about God's greatest sign to a symbol of that sign, to a symbol, an illustration of what Christ has done for us on the cross. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are illustrating what Christ has done for us on the cross and the resurrection. We are remembering, as Christ told us to, remember what he's done for us. We're remembering it. We're celebrating it. We're celebrating his death. And with that, we're celebrating his resurrection.